This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right. Any questions here? Anybody would like to bring up? By all means, feel free to jump on in. What? Oh, the course is on marriagepro.co. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You have some questions? Okay. What happens when one spouse doesn't admit to mistakes? So what happens when one spouse doesn't admit to mistakes? So I find that more often than not, people don't admit to mistakes because they feel that it will be used against them in a court of law, right? They always say, don't talk to the police, right? You should invoke your Fifth Amendment, which is right part of the Miranda rights. Because why not? Because what you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. But if you listen to top attorneys talk about this concept, they say, if you notice, they say that it will always, it can be used against you in a court of law. They never say it can be used for you in a court of, in a court of law. Nothing you say can be used for you in a court of law. It can only be used against you in a court of law. That's how it works, right? So by the way, also, like if you lie to a police officer, then you can you can be charged just simply with lying to police obstruction. If a police officer lies to you, no problem whatsoever. So, right, that's how it works. It's a very big double standard, okay? Don't ask why I know these things, okay? <laughs> so, so no, no, a police can lie to you um, and say like, oh, um, have you been drinking tonight? It smells like something's coming from your car. But it's not true. It doesn't smell like anything. And then you admit to, right? They can do that, right? Um, yeah, yeah. They, a, a police officer is not bound by the truth. Um, but we are. Um, as citizens, we are bound by the truth. But if you notice, it's the same thing. Um, what you say can't be used against you in a court of law, but can't be used for you in a court of law. You can't say, what do you mean? I told the officer I wasn't drinking. They'll say, that's very nice. We don't care, right? But there was a story, uh, an attorney told me, um, that there was a guy who was arrested. They came to his house. He knew he was under investigation. I know why we're talking about this, but we'll talk about this. And he um, he opened his door, and they, there was, I think it was the FBI, and they arrested him. And when they arrested him, they said, what's your name? And he knew that they knew his name. Everybody knew his name. He said, Nancy Reagan. As a joke. They said, what's your name? Nancy Reagan. They said, all right, turn around, put your hands behind your back. They arrested him. They charged him. They had like a million things. And he was acquitted on every single one. But except for that, he said, Nancy Reagan, that was lying to a police officer. That's obstruction. You're impeding them from, from conducting their investigation. And he went to prison just based on the fact, uh, obstruction. Yeah. That's called abstraction, right? So why do I say all this? Because it's interesting. And also, also because I think that many people, the reason why they um, are against admitting what they did wrong is because they feel that it's going to be used against them in a court of law. The approach is that we're not here against each other. When you turn to your spouse, you say, come on, didn't, didn't you... Your spouse is almost never going to tell you the truth. They're never going to be like, oh, yeah, you you caught me. Nobody ever does that. Kids don't do that. Kids don't do that, right? Your kid could do something like their whole face is full of like chocolate. Like, Didn't you do that? They're like, eh, Tuesday. Like, they, they just won't say the truth, right? Why not? Because we're programmed from a young age that, that that's very uncomfortable. So we don't do that. You have to take an approach. And I think that's really the heart of this. You have to take an approach where you get your needs met without your spouse needing to sit there and admit up. Yes, it's true. Yes, I made you feel like a second-class citizen. Yes, I belittled you. Yes, I did that. Sometimes people do say that, but more often than not, they don't say it because they feel like, okay, if I'm going to admit it, now all of a sudden everything is mine. 
you know, meaning my fault, my achrayas. You have to go about it in the sense that, and really this is its own class, but I'll talk about it here for a second, that the marriage needs something. What does the marriage need? It's nothing to do with you as the husband and you as the wife. What does our marriage need? Well, our marriage needs more time together. Great. Our marriage needs more connection. Great. Our marriage needs us to go out you know, every once in a while. Great. Our marriage needs more understanding. Great. It's not about me. It's not about you. You're not being under attack. You're not being, you know, gunned to the head. You're not being the one who's at, at fault or at blame. So these ideas, it's really a tact. It's, it's about how you go about the end result. And if you go about it smartly, then oftentimes you'll, you'll, get your, you'll get the person to acknowledge at least that they could have done something different. You'll get the person to be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, you're right. I, I didn't think about that. Or they'll say it in their own way. Or they'll be like, oh, I, I understand now that you must have felt hurt. Let's say your spouse says that to you. I understand that you must have felt hurt. You must have felt like I was prioritizing other things, right? So think about that for a second. Is that a good enough, is that a good enough apology for you? Think about that. I, I understand that you I understand now that you must have felt hurt by that, or you you must have felt that I was prioritizing other things. They don't say the words I'm sorry. They don't say I was wrong. They don't say all those words, right? I don't know about you, but I would be like, you just got an apology. You just got a commitment. You just got understanding. Now, if that's not enough for you, I understand. And I'm not telling you like go speak to somebody who will, you know, just validate those feelings. I understand. But I'm telling you that if you're smart, you'll take those words and you'll be like, I have a lot to work with over here. This person just opened up a huge portal. They, their d- defenses are down. They're really willing to acknowledge something. I think a lot of people don't, they, that's not enough for them. They want much more. They want the person to say, I was wrong. It was me. I'm terrible. What does that get you? What does that get you? It doesn't get you that end result. Okay. A lot of questions? Um, Sometimes a person needs to get something off their chest and don't have that space to formulate a question to make sure that the conversation gets you closer. What do you do then? Sometimes people have to talk because they have to talk, meaning to say they're right now in a bad headspace and therefore they feel like they they have a need to let it be known that they're not good. And and I recognize that. I, I don't I don't think that everybody's, you know, all of a sudden malachim that they can completely control their emotion. But more often than not, if you if you stop for a second and you say to yourself, just emoting this negative feeling usually is going to make the other person defensive, angry, shut down, withdrawn. Usually that that's that's what that's what it's going to bring about. Then more often than not, you can say it in a way where the person will acknowledge that they made you feel the way that you feel, the very valid the way that you feel, and you'll get the acknowledgement that they did something wrong or they there was a misstep. And I have news for you. And I think this is like, it's so olive phase, but it has to be said, is that nobody's perfect. You also make mistakes in your marriage. Everybody does. You know, like the idea that somebody did something wrong is like such a scary thing that like we can't even talk about it. Like you can say like, you know, I would appreciate if next time you can call me before you go out with your friends, I would like to know where you are. You could say those words. And that got your point across and your spouse like, oh my gosh, can't believe, right? Usually like if you say it in a way You'll, you'll, you're, the rest of your night will be a night of connection. If you say it in your way like, well, I have my feelings and this is my truth and I don't care what happens here. I just have to do this and I'm going to blow myself up because I just have, I ha- you know, I had a bad day and I need you to know about it. 
So, okay, fine. And then just the rest of your night is done. So what did you do? You you were heard. Yes, you were heard very loudly by your husband and your children and your neighbors. You definitely got your point across. But what did it get you? It didn't get you what you really want, which is connection. It didn't get you a spouse that's acknowledging you. So I, I, I understand that sometimes people are just like, what do you mean? I'm so frustrated. I just waited for you for three hours. Where were you? Yes, that is very, very frustrating. And I'm not saying you have to be like, well, Shafa, you know, I understand. I mean, there's certain things that are extremely hurtful. There's people that say things that are extremely hurtful. I'm not like living in this like bubble where like it's like the top 1%. We're making them even better. I understand that. But even so, if you think through, if you just take a pause and you say, what would I like? Uh, it's going to sound so crazy, but again, so simple. What would you like out of this conversation? What is your end goal here? Like what would be like the perfect result? So ask yourself, what's the perfect result of this conversation? It's that my spouse says, what words to me? I would like him to acknowledge that he did something wrong. Okay. You'd like him to acknowledge how you feel, right? Okay. So like, let's lay this out on a piece of paper. Okay. Now the burden is going to shift back to you. Now, what words are you going to say that are going to get them to say what you want them to say? Right? Think it through. Think through the steps. That's Chachma, right? Pia pasta b'chachma, right? That's Chachma. Like you've thought through the steps and then you're like, well, if I say this, there's a very good chance they're going to say that. Great. Wonderful. You are a really, really intelligent person. And even with all your pain and your hurt and everything, you can do that. You're you're a malach. Like you should be giving out brachas on the street corner. But if 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 it's just about being heard and, and screaming and yelling just because I feel pain right now, it doesn't do anything for people. I, I can't tell you how many emails I get a day. Some of them are literally Megillas. And I, and I read through them and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, this is so not productive. It's so not productive. It's so much. It's so heavy. It's such a long thing. Let's go slow. I'm not such a smart guy. Let's break this down into bite-sized pieces. And then you can oftentimes see tremendous results. When it's 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 just a cry. And I understand it. It's a cry. It's a cry. It's a, it's a painful cry. It's a cry for help. I understand all that. But if you slow down and you actually put into the conversation what you would like and then what your role is, you'll see such such different outcome than just crying, crying for help. You can get so much more out of your spouse. That's what I'm trying to say. Go ahead. So Kai has two questions. I think they're similar. Uh-huh. I just want to make sure they're... Um, how does one encourage their husband to open up when they have never done that since the beginning of their marriage? Yeah. And then the second person, how can you explain to us that, that you need to be appreciated? More? A lot of people are asking, like, how do you... Verbalize they need that connection. How do you verbalize your need without your spouse feeling defensive? If I would, yeah. yeah. Like what's the way to verbalize? What's the way to do it? So, okay, it's a very good question. So, first of all, again, I'll go back to this. I think that the idea of <laughs> the idea of saying something within your marriage, which articulates your needs, is probably one of the best things that a person can do for their marriage. Meaning, I'm not I'm not conveying to you that you're a failure. I'm conveying to you what a marriage happens to be. I'm talking about our marriage happens to need. And by the way, it happens to need it from you. But I'm going about this in a way where I'm drawing it out of you and I'm showing you that this is what I want. And I'll tell you why most people don't do this. Because they feel that if I do this and then I get it, the person is doing me a favor because I asked for it. And I think that it's a terrible mistake. Meaning, I'll say that again. Let's say a wife knows I need more appreciation. It would mean the world to me if my husband wrote me a note, a card, a gift, something, right? Most people will not say to their spouse, hey, you know what would be a great idea? I heard this in a share. I read this in a book. I saw this on a billboard. This Friday night, 
let's leave, you know, cards for each other. I'll leave it by your becher. You'll leave it by the candles. It'll be so nice. Uh, this Tuesday night, let's, whatever, they, right? They, they don't channel it into their marriage. Why not? Because they feel, if I do this, then that card is not worth anything. It's, he's only doing it because I told him to write it. Maybe, maybe you did, but you didn't tell him what to write, right? And if you do it two, three, four times, and then he comes home, fr- you come home Friday night and you light candles and there's a card waiting for you, maybe he starts doing it on his own. You're, you're the smartest wife in the world. You've channeled something into your marriage. So what most people tend to do is they, they realize that their spouse doesn't give them something because, well, you know, my spouse just doesn't have this trait. They then go, okay, I'll suffer in silence instead of saying something. Or I'll say something and it's going to come across as so hurtful. So there's a different path, which is where you convey that our marriage needs this. I happen to be part of that marriage and so do you. Okay, Agav, you know, happens to be the case. And by the way, if we would both put this in, what else can, what other thing can I contribute into this bowl that we can stir around and start seeing some energy created, right? I'm willing to put in anything you know, that's needed. Are you also willing to put in whatever is needed? If your spouse doesn't feel attacked, if your spouse feels that you actually care to, to have more goodness in your in your marriage, usually they respond. I, 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 I'm going to say something that, again, maybe I'm just like shooting for the stars here, but something that, something that I, I practice and I'm not just saying this. I think that if you can say to your spouse, tell me something that I could improve on or tell me something that, you know, that you really need from me or that you would want me to do a little differently or how, how can I, that's gold. Like you're, you're having a conversation that's, it's on the highest of the high, but it's also the simplest of, of, of the simple. I'm saying a couple that's dating, I believe should have a conversation about what their marriage could look like and should look like. Is that such a crazy idea that you can articulate what a marriage could look like? How do you see our roles? And so why is a couple that that's married already? You can't have that conversation. That doesn't make any sense. The reason it the reason it does make sense is because the way that people go about it is they're like, well, once I'm past Shevarakas, I'm already a married person. Once I'm a married person, I must have figured this all out. So therefore, if you're telling me I'm doing something wrong, you're just criticizing me. Criticism, I don't do well with criticism. That that logically just doesn't make any sense. If you change around the recipe and you start realizing we're both on the same page, we're both fighting for the same thing, we both want the same thing, then instead of talking about how you want happiness. You put in the steps now that the result is happiness. Instead of talking about how you're not getting your needs met, you bring into the relationship what you can and you show your spouse, by the way, I, I really appreciate this. I do appreciate the card that I asked you to write me because you wrote your own words. Even if you use ChatGPT, you took the minute or two or second or two to actually generate something that means something to me. And if you do it a hundred times, it will start to become a new muscle memory that you've, you've programmed into yourself. It's not rocket science. It really, it, it, I'm not, I'm not saying this like in theory. I've seen this work a million times. I just don't know why people are so hesitant to like actually do it or try it. And when they do and they put their egos aside and they actually start focusing on it, you see such drastic change in such a short amount of time. So that's it. it, it it's, it's, it's an olive based thing to do. Just you can't, you can't be scared of that rejection. You also have to accept where your spouse is today, meaning that they're not giving it to you today because they don't know or they're not aware or they haven't exercised that muscle enough to give it to you. That's all true. But if you bring it into your marriage and you're patient and you allow it to grow and you foster that growth, then you'll, you'll, you'll reap the benefits of that for the next hundred years. So why wouldn't you do that?
Um, what should you do when your spouse isn't willing to work on the marriage or compromise? That's a tough one. When your spouse is not willing to work on the marriage, I, I like to believe that in most cases, people really want to be happy. And when they say that they don't want to work on their marriage, it usually is a result of going to somebody who they felt judged or attacked or or something along those lines. And the only reason why they're saying that they don't want to work on their marriage is what they're saying is, I don't want to go to another therapist, rabbi, whoever, who's going to just throw me under the bus. If if we can do this in a smarter way, in a way that I feel like I'm heard, I'm understood, I, I'm not taking all the blame, but like I'm I'm going to willing to put in the work, then you oftentimes will see will see the change. It's a very very small um, section of the population, in my opinion, that truly does not want to work on their marriage. Meaning to say that they're just whatever. I don't want to label anybody, but they're they're just you know. To the point where they're like unwilling. I wouldn't even say the word unable. Because even people that are unable, they they want to be able. Like if you show them enough times, they they want it, they'll go for it. But there's a very, very small subsect, you know, subsection of the population that absolutely does not. They're just so resistant to change. They're so focused on themselves or on maybe, you know, something that they're doing that's giving them seatbook in their life that they, they're just like, I'm done. But most people, I would say like... <laughs> In Hebrew, ruba de ruba. Most of the time, you know, way over ninety-five percent of the time, people do want it. They just don't want it the way that you're going about it. So people reach out to me all the time. Oh, my spouse doesn't want to speak to anybody. And then the conversation goes, and they're like, "Okay, but they, they'll come to the table. We get them to the table, and they come and they're like, of course, I'm willing to speak to somebody. I'm miserable also. If if one side is miserable, I guarantee you the other side is miserable also. If not, then the person is delusional. Okay, so they're they're gonna be miserable. So. What what what's going on? What's going on is that they just went to ten people and they were just thrown under the bus, or they felt thrown under the bus, or they didn't feel understood, or they didn't feel like whatever it was. Therefore, they're unwilling to change. But they're not unwilling to change. They're unwilling to go to somebody else. So if they go to somebody that doesn't make them feel that way and is able to bring out and they they start seeing things different, then usually you'll see that they are willing, very willing to change. Usually, yeah. Um, how can spouse A let go of hurt feelings if spouse B said something hurtful, even though it was talked through? Um, and spouse B sincerely apologize. Wait, say it again. Say it again. Sorry, I got to go. How can spouse A let go of hurt feelings if spouse B said something hurtful, even though it was talked through, and spouse B apologize? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, time. Time. Meaning to say, people say things that are silly, they're not thought. You know, they haven't thought it through. They made a comment that they shouldn't have said. Um, I think it's, again, people make mistakes and it would be very wise usually to move past that. Sometimes, you know, I was once sitting in a meeting with Rabbi Zachary Wallerstein um, with a couple. That's all. And, um, and, and somebody said something. And Rabbi Wallerstein turned to me and he whispered, it's over. They said one thing that was just so, so, it was, it was just, he turned to me, he goes, it's over. Like he whispered it. And he was right. It was over. It, there was no coming back from that comment. So sometimes it's, that's the case. More often than not, it's not the case. More often than not, it's, it's something which it wasn't, it wasn't smart. They acknowledge it. They move on. It's not repetitive. Those are, those are the meters that we have to look, you know, look, look for, you know, we stand Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. We ask Hashem to forgive and forget. To move on, clean slate, 
marriages shouldn't be any different than that. Shouldn't be, you know, a couple that's looking at each other and saying, well, you once said this. Okay, it was 10 years ago. Relax. Like, you know, like, why can't we move past this? The ability to let things go um, is is absolutely, absolutely key to every relationship and not hold on to things. You know, some people, they love living in the past. And I think that's really part of this idea. Like the idea that people love drama. Sometimes they love their own drama. You know, they keep rehashing and rehashing and rehashing. I've had couples come, they're married 30 years and they still keep talking about Shava Brachas and Shana Rishayna. I'm like, this was 30 years ago. Like, well, why are we even talking about this? It was so silly. Yes, she went to her mother the first week instead of your mother the first week, even though it's your minute that you go to the boys. Fine. Like, so Zion, like your grandparents now, like, let's move on. Like, what, what are we doing here? Like, why are we having this conversation? Right? Like, why? Why? What, what's the purpose? Why are we still having this conversation? If she did it last week and she's been doing it for 30 years, so then we can talk about it. But like, if it didn't happen in 30 years, why are we starting from the beginning? People really do that. You want to sit in my... Yes. They're, they they want to start from the beginning. They want to start from the beginning, right? So I could get like a picture of what's going on. What are we talking 30 years ago? What does that get anybody? Right? So yes, I see that a lot, unfortunately. But like, Again, the ability to to forgive and forget and to move on is a meter that I think everybody needs to you know work on on their life in their life, especially in terms of marriage. Holding on to that grudge doesn't do anything for you, other than just view your spouse in a more negative light. And I'll say it, I'll say it a little deeper here. If you view your spouse with, as that ball of energy, so then try to focus in that ball of energy on the positive things that you have. But when the ball of energy contains thirty year old junk mistakes that your spouse who's thirty years older now. When they did something there, so then your whole perspective on your spouse, if you had to give them a number, right? One to 10, you'd name them, you'd give them a four. Why a four? Because they're dragged down by the fact that she did this or he did that 30 years ago. What? Are you serious? Like, let go of all that stuff. That number will jump to seven, eight, nine. Like, what are we doing? Why are we holding on to that? So again, if it's an, an inherent mida, something which carries forward for 30 years, that's going to be something that has to be addressed. But if it's something which is not, which I find oftentimes is what happens, then can we let it go? Why do we have to keep talking about it? Yeah. You're right. Yeah. We'll go to 10 after tonight. Yeah. Because I, I was. Yeah. Um, for a couple struggling with communication, are couples cards games good to bring out for communication? They have, yeah, they have these games where you, where you like, you know, it says you made me feel <laughs> right. Or you know, they, they do have these, these like therapy games. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I, somebody actually once gave it to me as a gift, like to use with couples and I've never actually used it. Um, I've never actually had a couple use it. I think it's too, I don't know. It's too therapy for me. Like it's too, it's too, it's too scripted. I don't know. I can't explain it. Um, I guess if it works for somebody, then by all means, then go ahead and see how that makes you feel. Well, it's like a dating game, but for couples that are married. So if somebody wants that, then by all means, go ahead and do it. Um, I like to think that most people do communicate more than we give them credit for. They communicate that they feel certain feelings. And if you're in tune to those feelings, you'll be able to read it. You know, if your spouse is, is storming around the room, you'll you'll sense it. You'll feel it. Like oftentimes, again, like I'm sitting in a meeting, and I'll close my eyes and I can, I can like feel this person's energy or this person's energy. It's like... They're not even saying anything. They're quiet, but like you could just, you could feel it. So if you could feel it, if I could feel it sitting in a meeting, you're living in the person's house. You could tell usually what, whether they're happy or unhappy or what they're happy or unhappy about. So I don't know. I guess if it helps somebody, then by all means, if you have a good one to recommend, then, uh, you know, whatever. 
I guess you could send send a, you know send me a, a link. But I have I have boxes sitting. I just I've never actually used them. Yeah, one more, one more, last one. Um, how do you recreate um, respect between spouses? Like that's a longer conversation. Um, recreating respect in in a in a relationship. So most people, I would argue, have a lot to respect in a marriage. Um, what I mean by that is, if you if you stop for a minute and you made a list of all the things that you do respect. Um, I think there's two levels to this. Mm-hmm. One is simply ask yourself, like, what do I have in my house? Let's look at that bowl of energy. That bowl of energy, you may not like the fact that they get up late. You may not like the fact that they don't learn as much. They, you may not like the way they talk or whatever. You may have your list of things. I'm, I'm sure everybody does. But again, just like a bowl of energy, it's usually not a point. It's usually a tremendous amount of things. And you'll find that every spouse has so much that they that you can respect it about them. That that guy who gets up late, oftentimes he's up late at night. He's accomplishing things. That guy who's not so calm with the children, that guy oftentimes is bringing in a lot of money. The guy who's not bringing in a lot of money oftentimes is, is very caring and concerned about you and how you're feeling. If you if you look at, at things as being absolute, then you're going to have a very absolute feeling about the person. If you view people as being more than absolute, then you'll be able to see within them what they have. You know, when I was a kid, I remember thinking about a certain person and thinking, I'm going to try to focus just on all the things that are positive about this person. I'm going to make a list. I did this when I was like a teenager. I, and it, it really helped like certain perspective, like really shift. Like we look at people as being absolute, but but they're not. Your kids are not absolute. Your spouse is not absolute. And if you go ahead and you make that list, you start focusing on it. I think that's level one. Level two is that you start to feel it in your bones. And I think that that level in most couples is really missing. Meaning in theory, they, they respect. In in practice, they do things which show respect. But in reality, like 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 deep down, that's, that respect is not there. And I'll tell you how you know it. Because you ha- if you have such an innate respect for, for somebody, I always say like Rafael Kanievsky or whoever you consider just like so respectable that it's not even a question you carry yourself different. You hold yourself different. The way you talk to the person is different because it's just, it's just there. Nobody has to remind you. Don't, they don't say to you like, but, but didn't he, wasn't Reb Chaim Kanievsky in Mechaber Sparim? Wasn't Reb Chaim Kanievsky sitting and learning? They don't have to remind you. It's, it's just so innate that you just hold yourself different. So the way you talk to your spouse, even when you're not getting your needs met, even when your spouse did something a little bit wrong, even when it's not, you can see, you can see in somebody's eyes, the way that they approach their, their spouse. So I think that it really comes down to First, focusing, understanding that within all the non-respect and the things that you're not necessarily, you know, getting or it's there. But at the same time, if you actually do focus on the things that you do respect and it becomes part of you, it's like in your bones, usually it's hard to lose that. And if it's lost, again, then there's a whole, that's a whole different schmooze. Like what happens if it's like really lost? I understand that. But more often than not, it's lost because the same way there's a disconnection in terms of the marriage, the kesha, the, the emotional bond, there's a disconnect. Or, or expectations that were not met. I see this a lot. Like guys go out to learn, guys go out from learning to the business world and their wife loses a lot of respect. He's not the way he was before, blah, blah, blah. They have like that whole side of things. 
I understand it's different. Your expectation now has to change. But now he's bringing in money. Now he's providing for his family. These are very admirable things. So a person has to shift their perspective and then make it like real, like a part of them. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.